All right, great to be together. I uh, was away last Sunday morning and missed being with you all, but always a delight uh, to be with other congregations and to worship God in uh, different churches and see uh, and experience how they uh, together worship God. I encourage you, as always, when you're away, uh, when you're traveling, when you're on vacation, when you're on business, uh, if you can't be with us here on Sunday morning and you're a part of this congregation, find another uh, manifestation of the body of Christ somewhere and worship with them. Go out of your way and do that. It'll be a great experience. Uh, welcome to those of you, again, who are with us online. We're glad you're here. It's great to be together in the sanctuary, and uh, the numbers of people who are in the sanctuary are growing, and it's good to be back together, and we'll welcome you back online whenever you have the chance. I want to start this morning uh, talking about, or uh, at least acknowledging, and let's recite together uh, our fairly new, still articulated values uh, hopefully you are on your way to memorizing those if you haven't already. Uh, they're going to be on the screen. Look at them if you need to, and if you don't need to, go like this or something like that. So let's uh, speak those words together. Following the Lord Jesus, we strive to love all people unconditionally, serve our neighbors generously, advance God's purposes globally, pour into the next generation intentionally, and cultivate spiritual growth continuously. Good. And now on to our study of the uh, Gospel of Mark, where we're going to see again, as we have so many times over the last few weeks and months, those values, which is where they're drawn from. Uh, we'll see them again this morning, but before we get to Mark's Gospel, let's pray together. Pray with me. Gracious God, as we open the scriptures together, we ask that you would be our teacher, that you would help us to be attentive students, and not just with our minds, but also with our hearts and even our spirits. We acknowledge and confess that we don't always listen well. Sometimes we even close our ears, our minds, our hearts to your voice and to your word. Forgive us and remake us. Transform us into the image and likeness of Jesus the Lord and bring about good in us and through us and bring glory to yourself. And I pray that as my words are true to your word that they be received gladly if my words in any way deviate or are not consistent with your word. May they be quickly forgotten. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So reading now from chapter 10, we're going to bounce back a little bit to something we jumped over last week, uh, back to chapter 10 of Mark's gospel, beginning at verse 13. Listen closely. This is God's word. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked these people. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And Jesus took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. And briefly, for the sake of context, what comes right before these verses in chapter 10 is Jesus teaching about divorce and marriage, which we covered a couple of weeks ago which though children are not mentioned in this section, definitely have implications for. Marriages and divorce have implications for children, and so it's no accident that Jesus addresses the subject of marriage and divorce 
and then addresses the subject of children. And what immediately follows this passage in Mark's gospel, follows it, is Jesus' interaction with a rich man, which we also covered a couple of weeks ago. A rich young ruler we pick up from Luke and from Matthew. A rich young man who is interested in knowing what he can do to inherit eternal life. And this other rich young man's interaction with Jesus highlights, by contrast, how according to Jesus, people enter the kingdom of God, namely not by what they can do, but as little children who have not done, earned, or merited anything of great substance or significance on their own, but instead come as people who are dependent on others, dependent on God's grace, reliant on others for everything. When Jesus says, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it, and notice, it's worth noticing here, that the same language that Jesus will use in the next section in his interaction with the rich young man is exactly the same language that that he uses here. When Jesus says, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it, he uses that same language later with the wealthy young man who's done everything, who's accomplished everything, who has everything, who asks how he can receive eternal life. And Jesus tells him how he may enter eternal life. And there's this contrast context. When Jesus says anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it, he is saying that a person not comes naively, not comes like a selfish, impetuous child, but comes as one who acknowledges that they're fully dependent on other people, who has needs, in some ways who doesn't know everything, who is by nature humble. This is the essential part of Mark's of Jesus and Mark's message here. This is part one of it. And here's part two, that Jesus mentions children at all. That children are around Jesus, that Mark mentions Jesus, that Mark mentions children, that Mark includes children in his gospel. And interestingly, Mark doesn't just mention children here in these four verses. But if you remember, Mark has just mentioned in the previous chapter, in chapter 9, a couple of times, children as well. A man brought his son, a boy, to Jesus and asked Jesus to heal the boy, to cast the demon out of this boy, and Jesus did. And then later, next in chapter 9, Jesus' 12 disciples are arguing about which of them is the greatest in their private conversations along the road. And Jesus calls them on that. And in response to their selfish interest, Jesus takes a little child there in Mark 9, takes the child into his arms and says to his disciples, whoever welcomes any of these children welcomes me. Whoever welcomes a child welcomes me. And he again embraces, lifts up, cares for children. And now in chapter 10, people are beginning to understand Jesus. People are beginning to understand and grasp his kingdom And so they are bringing now children to Jesus for Jesus to bless the children. And Jesus' disciples, who just like today, are sometimes the last people to get it. That's us. They rebuke the people who are bringing children to Jesus, who are interrupting Jesus with children. They rebuke these people, a word used elsewhere in Mark's gospel of exorcisms, of rebuking demons of people who are opponents of Jesus and opponents of God's will get rebuked, 
of people who oppose Jesus in various ways and who need to be censored. They rebuke these people. And then Mark tells us this caused, their rebuke caused Jesus to be indignant with them, with his own disciples toward them. And this is the only time in Mark's gospel or any of the gospels that Jesus is described as being indignant. A word which means to have one's anger aroused, awakened, and for one's displeasure to be poured out and exposed about other people. Jesus is indignant at his disciples because of their lack of compassion and care for the vulnerable, for the helpless, for the powerless, for the weak, for the small, for the neglected, which is consistent if we think about it, about how Jesus has been over the course of Mark's gospel. Of course, our society generally regards children and care for children as a virtue. That is generally our culture's default setting today. And I would argue that that is largely because of one person in human history, Jesus. However, children were not held in such high regard in ancient Jewish society. Children, like women, derive their position in society primarily from and because of and in relation to adult males in their lives. Sons, to be sure, were regarded as a blessing from God, but largely because they ensured the continuance of the family for another generation and increased or would increase its workforce eventually. Childhood was typically regarded as an unavoidable interim between birth and adulthood, which a boy reached technically at age 13. One will search Jewish literature in vain for sympathy toward the young compared to that shown by Jesus. Jesus' inauguration of his kingdom inaugurates a new understanding, an attitude toward and disposition toward the least of these and specifically children. And such was obviously also the case in the ruthless at times Roman world in which all of this happens. And one might conclude that care for babies, infants, children, youth is sometimes lacking or insufficient in many corners of our world still today. It is. Obviously, Jesus would be and Jesus is indignant about and toward how Joseph Coney and people like him in the world today treat, have treated and continue to treat the children of our world. And yet, not just the 66,000, yet millions of children today are used as cheap labor around the world. Not only in Uganda and its neighboring countries, but on every continent. Millions of other children, and especially girls, are trafficked today for sex, including in the United States, including on the peninsula. There was an article in yesterday's Wall Street Journal about how in Afghanistan and with its cratering economy and society and the desperate place that people find themselves in in Afghanistan today, how people, parents, fathers, mothers are resorting to selling their children. The article tells a story of a girl 
only three years old, having to be sold by her parents because they have no other way to feed their family, themselves, or her. And while to some degree God in Christ Jesus has shaped our culture's view toward children in our culture, at least for those who make it to birth and beyond, we still have a long way to go. Compassion and care for many children in our country and our county and our community is still lacking in so many ways. Many kids in the Bay Area are still victimized. Many still lack resources, love, food, decent housing, parents who are able and eager to care for them. And friends, despite our society's wealth and resources and advances, technology, etc., we live in a world that today is particularly and uniquely complex, difficult, troubling. If you would like to know more about I refer you simply to the transcript of the Facebook whistleblower's testimony before Congress two weeks ago, regardless of where you're at politically. If you would like to know more, I refer you to the documentary or movie on Netflix called The Social Dilemma, which will change your understanding about so many things in our world and particularly the world in which our children are growing up. You will be warned, you will be enlightened, you will be sobered. Our kids, and I'm not just talking about my four children or this congregation's children who belong to all of us in God's covenant community, especially those of us, those children, youth, infants, at whose baptism we have all taken vows. Our children, but also our city's kids, the kids of our county, state, and country are growing up in a difficult and complex world. And so we have among our values this fourth one to pour into the next generation intentionally. And we are trying to do that, and I must say, because some people have asked and wondered and complained, this doesn't mean we don't care about other generations of people. We absolutely do. And if you know and look at and consider the, uh, our other four values, you'll see it there. We love all people unconditionally. Nobody gets left behind. But according to the scriptures and Jesus, we are going to give special attention to the children among us, to the next generation, without whom there won't be a church. I'm uh, excited this morning to uh, have up uh, on the platform and speaking and sharing and telling uh, four folks who know more about this in some ways than I do. So uh, they're going to come up now and we're going to have a conversation for a couple of minutes and share that with you. Uh, Jim and Liz Yeager, uh, Walter uh, Darbone, Lois was not able to be with us today as it turned out, and Gladys Gardner, our director of children's ministries. Gladys is going to share for a couple of minutes. about why we have children's ministry, what our understanding philosophy is, and what we do. Sure. Great. Well, children's ministry is, I think, the best ministry of the church, of course. <laughs> no bias there. <laughs> no bias at all. No. Um, what we 
uh, strive to do in children's ministry is to love children unconditionally, to demonstrate God's unconditional love to them, to acknowledge them as members of our faith community. Uh, we want to give them a foundation uh, in the Bible, in God's word. We want to teach them about Jesus and his uh, atoning uh, death for them. We want to uh, ensure that they know that they are loved. <laughs> and we want to teach them about prayer, about asking questions about faith, about growing in their faith. Uh, we want to uh, be a consistent presence in their life, helping them to know that there are people around them that accept them uh, as part of the community. So definitely here on Sunday mornings, we want to um, say hello to them. We want to, instead of looking beyond them, look down and say good morning, hello, and acknowledge them uh, in their place uh, as part of our faith community. We want to serve uh, in power station classes and in our nursery, loving them, loving their parents, coming alongside their parents and uh, demonstrating ways to pass along faith to them. Uh, the Bible, God gives parents the ultimate responsibility for passing along faith, but that can be a hard job. So we want to be there for parents and support them in that. So certainly being a consistent presence in uh, from the nursery into a power station Sunday school class, week to week, teaching about the Bible, uh, loving kids, uh, accepting them. Again, just giving that unconditional love. There's uh, little sprouts on Fridays, uh, where you can love the kids and, and encourage them and sing songs about God to them. There's uh, Wednesday Night Kingdom Club, where there's a variety of responsibilities there. But you can just show up. Showing up is huge. Uh, doing dishes, uh, leading games, uh, teaching about God's word. Those are all ways to, to demonstrate to kids that they're loved. There's being a VBC leader, uh, as Liz has done for years and years. There's coming out to the farmer's market. There's, there's just so many ways to pass on faith and to show that you care and that a child is valuable. So we just try to have opportunities like that every single week and month. And what's coming up, trunk or treat. <laughs> you treat. can have an awesome trunk or treat and show kids some love through through that. Great. Thanks, Gladys. So lots of opportunities to be involved, to respond to God's word and the scriptures before us. Two things um, I would just add, partly as parent, partly as pastor. Um, I appreciate uh, that uh, in our culture, parents often tend to abdicate parental discipling roles to the church and our church uh, you all in your ministry have been really good about including parents and not uh, encouraging abdication, uh, but empowering parents to come alongside and, and to work together with families. We've appreciated that as a family. The other thing is that I remember years ago, both Walter and Jim saying uh, to me personally how important it was and they had seen in their lives in ministry that children youth, students, have not only their parents in, in their lives, but also other adult, mature Christians following Jesus pouring into their lives long before we had this poor value. And I've seen that in 
all four of you, but really appreciated that idea. It's really important. Walter and uh, his wife Lois have had an additional uh, experience and commitment, and uh, he's going to share some about that beyond kind of classic church. What do we do? Sure. Um, Lois and I have always in our relationship, even when our relationship started when we were dating, um, had felt called to to teach kids and to serve kids and to um, share the gospel. We feel like there is fertile soil there, right? To, to hear the good news, to know the love that God has for them and to establish their identity through Christ rather than all the other, in terms of the soil metaphor, all the other weeds that can come up and choke them from our culture. And, and so we've always been uh, wanting to share and feel like that's an important thing to set that foundation in children's lives, uh, that they know who Jesus is and the love that he has for them. Uh, in, in recent years, we, as a part of that and part of our involvement in a ministry in, the, in our area called Help One Child, which is an organization that um, is a Christian organization that is built around supporting foster parents and, uh, and, and helping people get into become foster parents, but also in that that's such a huge role to be a foster parent, to come around them and support those, those people who are fostering kids. And, um, and that's part of this idea that Shannon alluded to where we as the church can come around parents and support them and their kids. So part of that is uh, an, another ministry called Safe Families for Children which is a national ministry and Help One Child administers this in our area. Safe Families for Children is built around this concept of when family is not available, if, there's a, if there is a parent or parents who are struggling with, all, and there's all kinds of scenarios that you can imagine here, where they do not have the bandwidth to care for their children for a short time, but they love their children, they're committed to their children, but maybe they're, they need to be in rehab, they need job retraining, they need um, some kind of uh, other support in their lives. And often families will come in and take care of those children. The, the you know, relatives will come in and take care of those children. Now, though, we are all spread out. Our families tend to get spread out, and those families, those relatives are not available. And so what a better idea to bring the church to support those parents, to love on those children, to bring them into our homes, to care for them, to feed them, to take them to school, um, so that the parents can actually do what they need to do to be able to then parent their children in, you know, down the road. And so that's what Safe Families for Children is about. And Lois and I have participated in this. We've had children in our home for a day uh, through, we had three children in our home 
that were aged between 9 and 16 for about three months. And just parenting, basically parenting these kids to allow their parents to get their feet back on the ground and to be reunited without having to enter the foster program. Um, I think it's okay to share a little bio. You have two, you and Lois have two sons, so you raised them. They're now uh, adults. And uh, why waste all that parenting learning and not put it to use again? So this was uh, long after your boys uh, became men. You all began practicing parenting. Yeah, they were in school, um, I think, in that, at that time and, and, um, and then and beyond. Uh, yeah, in college and beyond. And, and uh, I think the other piece of that was we had, God had blessed us with a, a house in the Bay Area, which we feel like was a real gift. That's not a given in the Bay Area. We had two empty bedrooms because now they were, our sons were out of the house. And we had kind of a rotating door of people who were staying with us, but we just thought this was important. This was a, a wasted resource that we had as well as the love we had for these kids and wanting to share Jesus with them. We had these empty bedrooms mm. that we could house them and, and care for them. Mm. Great stewardship, to use that word in a little bit different way. Jim and Liz have had a very uh, a similar but very different experience. Thanks for sharing about that. Sorry, can I add one more thing? I'm sorry. I just wanted to add, this wasn't something that Lois and I did alone, that a part of this church coming around is we had people, we had you, we had people from our church family that came and helped. They would take like one of the, the girl, the youngest girl, take her to school, and they provided support um, in a number of ways. So it wasn't just us, and you know, and especially with these three kids we had, we felt like it was a partnership with First Pres, helping to raise these kids in the time that we had them. Takes a village. Uh, well, our experience has been um, more recent. I grew up; my parents uh, had both formal foster kids and informal, mostly teenagers when I was growing up, and that was a very meaningful experience for me. Um, and Jim had some other experiences that ripened his heart to open our home. And um, many years ago now, I went to a human trafficking conference at Mount Hermon and was shocked and saddened to hear that some huge percentage, well over 70% of the young people that um, were being arrested and et cetera um, in San Francisco for being trafficked or involved in selling their bodies had uh, were young people who had aged out of foster care. And uh, they have nothing. They have nothing but their bodies to survive. And that was such a, a sad truth. And uh, I'm sure it's a common story across the country. And California's done a lot. They now um, will give benefits and cell phones to young people who age out. Um, up to age 21, they help provide. So, so the problem's been identified. But for us, it was like, wow, we need to be involved we need to care for these people who um, are just being thrown out on the street. And um, so that was kind of the impetus. We knew we weren't ready. We wanted our kids to be partners. We wanted them to be old enough to choose to partner with us. And so we kind of waited until we felt like they were all old enough. 
And then we, we as a family went to uh, a presentation by a group called Foster the City. It was called Foster the Bay, but they've expanded so much over the state. They're now Foster the City. And that was um, that's a group that tries to, um, it, it invites churches to become part of their network. And the church will have at least one foster family and then friends within the church who support that foster family with the truth, the idea that you can't do it alone. The burnout rate, if a family comes into the foster care, um, they get licensed. They typically burn out after one placement or after one, they let their license expire after one year. Families that are resource families or foster parents, 50% drop out after one placement and 80% drop out after two because the burnout rate is so high and the challenges are so great to care for a child, any child, um, on one's own. That Foster the Bay's vision was, this should not be done alone, that we are a community of people who believe that children have value and can be cared for together. And so that <clears throat> even if someone says, we, this adult couple or this family will be a resource family and go through the training and be orient oriented by the county, they need a group, they need a community around them for this to be a successful thing, to take children out, to take bi biological children out to give them the nourishment they need if parents are with the foster child, to help with school tutoring, to do all kinds of transportation, which in addition to housing, transportation is a huge issue where we live. It, COVID is still among us, but there will be a time when traffic comes back and getting around becomes the challenge it used to be. All of these logistics, um, in addition to the human element of caring for a child, are super challenging. And so Foster the Bay, the dream was and the vision was if every church in the Bay Area had one couple or family that was an approved resource family for foster care, that, or one person, then every child that's in the system now would have a home. So it's very simple math in their view. If the Lord would raise up one family at every church community in the Bay Area, then every child in the system would have a home. Yeah, so we, our church, we should be part of the system. Um, so please, if you would be interested in just being the coordinator, just the point person to be uh, the foster the city person for our church, that's all it will take. And then you coordinate with us, uh, for instance, and anyone who wants to help us um, and, and that's, that's the job. That's all it will take to join that network. Um, but we informally, having that advice from Foster the City, um, we informally mentioned to some of you that we were entering foster care and we wanted to find a group, like uh, a support network. And so we ended up um, in, we had a few respite care situations. We had some kids come through, got our feet wet, just taking care of other kids after we were licensed for other resource families. Resource family is the new way to say foster family. Um, and that was an amazing experience because we realized we have stereotypes about foster kids and none of these kids hit those stereotypes. Like they were amazing young people um, who were just victims of their adults' choices, right? And so it changed our hearts because there's a lot of fear when you think about foster care. Like, oh, these are bad kids. Most of them are not bad kids. They are they're just lovely people who are trying to navigate their life, the life that someone else has ruined so far. So meeting those kids changed our hearts a lot and it um, prepared us for then. We had a, a placement for about a year with a little girl. Um, and so as we informally mentioned that we, we were looking for some friends, 
the Darbones, of course, said, oh, we would love to help. Gladys said, I would love to help. And she provided respite care for us on a number of occasions. The Sanchez's jumped in. Laurel Cress was incredible. She provided not only respite care, but hours and hours of tutoring for our little friend. And, um, and you guys don't know it because it was all through COVID, but our foster daughter was nurtured by all of you. She joined us every Sunday morning. She loved the worship. She couldn't tell you what was going on in her heart, but she got to know Jesus through the worship. And of course, we were doing things at home. We're listening to Caleb. We're reading books that stir up the soul. And, and she had a faith, a small faith background, so that was okay. Um, you know, we don't want to force anything on anyone and respect the faith experience that anyone has come from. Um, but there was a door already open, and so we just kept feeding that. And she fell in love with Jesus. And you guys didn't even know it. You never really saw her much. Um, she did do Kingdom Club for a while, and, and that was such a, a wonderful thing for her. So thank you for what you didn't even know you were doing. And now she has matriculated to her forever home. Yeah, so she, um, unfortunately, she, she was very well loved, actually, by her father primarily, but his life just has continued to spiral um, into a really dark place. So she's with a family that's just a beautiful match. Um, and they're, it takes a while, but they absolutely want to and are trying to adopt her. Go ahead. I just want to say something to those of you who might be like me with regard to your perspective on the county or the state or the government and their influence on our children, public schools, county services, the law. And I will say that uh, in our process of being, so we're rookies, right? We're, taught, we're not veterans, we're rookies. This all, our training and orientation began in the fall of 2019 before COVID was a thing, right? I, I tell people, we, did, we signed up for foster care but not foster care during COVID but you don't get to choose. So um, this is very, very new for us. And I was very reluctant. I thought, oh man, the county, dealing with this is gonna be terrible. There are social workers. And, and the truth of it is, I am convicted by my own judgment of that entire, my, my thinking was wrong. And if you have a thought about the influence of the state or the government on our lives, you're free to have it. I'm free to retain mine. But I will tell you, the people we have met through the public foster care system are, uh, they're wonderful people. They're well-motivated, self-sacrificial people who are giving their lives away for no money, really barely a sustainable wage where we live, to provide safety and care for kids who just wanna be re reunited with their parents, right? The, the, the primary goal of the foster system in San Antonio County and San versus most other counties. These kids, your home may be wonderful. You may have more resources than their parents. You may be better educated. You may have a better direction. Every child in the system wants to be with their parents. They miss their mom and dad, right? And so that is the goal. That is the kind of the prayer. It was our prayer with our young friend every night. Every night we prayed for it. We knew the likelihood of it was really low. We never gave up on it because we knew she didn't. And yet we were open to what was coming next, what was gonna happen in her life. But I will say for those of you who carry that thought about the influence of the system, I would say I was challenged and I would 
I would challenge each of you to be more open and ready to receive. Because as Jesus said, those who are not against us are for us. And these are people who are for what you are for when it comes to children. They may not have our worldview, they may not have a faith like any of yours sitting here today, but they have a motivation to care and to provide healing and restoration and reconciliation, which are all values that we all espouse and we all support. And I'll say Foster the City has said that um, the families they end up sending to the counties, the county, the social workers are like, these are amazing families. So we, the kingdom of God is touching the lives of those social workers and, and that whole piece of our government. The kingdom of God is making its way in as we enter, right? And something I'm hugely convicted of is we pray the Lord's pray, prayer your kingdom come. Guess when God's kingdom comes? When we do what we've been told to do. Do you want children in here to hear about Jesus? Do you want them actually to be here? We can bring them. We can bring them. That's the kingdom of God in action. So how dare we pray and do nothing? How dare we pray your kingdom come and we don't do anything to bring it? Jim, you shared a little bit about what you'd learned one thing that you've learned, Walter, Liz, other things that you've learned maybe about yourselves through this process or ways in which maybe you've particularly seen God at work in your experiences? There's so much that we've learned uh, about ourselves. Um, I think two things I would say is that one is the value over the inconvenience is way beyond my expectations. You know, when I see, and it's not like it's easier, um, goes smoothly all the time. It doesn't. But um, the impact on these kids and, 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 you know, even just it might become in a comment that, uh, or a hug, or something, right? The, the impact is, is so powerful over, over whatever inconvenience there might be. Um, and it's also interesting from, I've learned in stepping out in faith, and, and you know, this was something we didn't know we could be successful at, or, you know, successful at, or do, um, but to see how God moves in ways that we didn't even expect. It's again, one of those situations whenever we step out in faith and we see that happen. Um, it's exciting to see these kids get a glimpse of who Jesus is and to be impacted by that, even if we don't get to hold on to them and walk the rest of the way with them, to see the impact of that, um, even in the time we have with them is, is really powerful. And I, would say, I would just wanna to clarify too, like not everyone is able for a variety of reasons to have a child in their home, but you can all be part of caring for the, for those kids when they're around. And, um, and, and I would say that for us, uh, something we try to remind ourselves all the time is we are not doing this for this child. Of course, we kind of are, but we have to have the perspective of we're doing this for ourselves, for our own souls. Like we grow, we change, we are challenged. Um, if we don't believe that it's good for us, then we've lost our path. Like, we've lost the way. We need to keep remembering this is good for us. 
if we don't want to grow, then let's just not even bother, you know, saying to do it. But as soon as we think, we're doing this for you, or kid, why don't you appreciate what we're doing? Like, that's so messed up. Like, of course they don't appreciate what you're doing. <laughs> They're kids. They don't get it. They don't have perspective. If I maintain the, per the perspective that I'm the one who needs this kid in my life, I'm the one being blessed, I'm the one being stretched, that is good for me and my heart. Great truth. Um, we've got value number four up on the screen behind you, pouring into the next generation intentionally. But a uh, part of what you've experienced is also the fifth value of cultivating spiritual growth continuously because uh, in the paradoxical nature of the gospel, when we're obedient, uh, God grows us and does good things in us. Someone have something else? All right. Uh, on, uh, in the live stream feed uh, right now are a bunch of links uh, to resources, a video, the organizations that Walter, Lois, uh, Walter, Liz, and Jim have talked about. Those same links and information will be on our Facebook page after worship. If you'd like to know more, I know that Walter and Lois and Liz and Jim would love to answer questions for you. Uh, if you have interest in anything or want to learn more or just curious about their experience or their organizations, they would talk about it too. Mm, okay, awesome. I also want to thank our kids because I worry about how we're going to do foster care when they're not part of our home because they were incredible. Burrs. That's beautiful. Gladys would love to, uh, if you have questions about here at First Pres, too, there are always ways to get in and serve. You don't have to have a home. You don't have to have a house. You don't have to have uh, whatever, whatever, whatever. There's something and there's a place for everyone. Let me close this in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the truth of your goodness seen in your love for all people and particularly this morning uh, in children, in the helpless, in the needy, in those who have been discarded, left behind, ignored, and in sometimes, sometimes in some cases abused and used. Help us to see all people and particularly every child as made in your image and loved by you with immense and eternal value. Draw us into your love and to your kingdom and your purposes in ways that we can by your grace and gifting and the resources with which you have blessed us. Help us to be a part as a church and as individuals of the coming of your great and glorious kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of Jesus, amen.